Welcome, friends of the universe. We are Soul Women. We are three women exploring topics ranging from social advocacy, healing from trauma, and so much more. In each episode, we aim to have deep conversations while maintaining our unique perspectives in order to promote a lifestyle of inner peace, authenticity, vulnerability, and intentional living. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode with an open mind and an open heart. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Soul Woman podcast. We're really happy to have you today. As always, we got a question in our DMs a few days ago or like a week ago asking such a good question that I think a lot of creatives and people are going through during the pandemic. I think it's more heightened now than ever. And the question was just basically, how do you tackle and process showing up for yourself when doing so continues to feel like a chore or can end up feeling like even more negative influence on your creativity? Have any of you experienced this? Do you continue to push through? And how do you balance giving yourself a break while still holding yourself accountable? And we all resonated with that really well. Um, But we know someone who has been doing that work for a while on his own. So we're going to have him as our guest today. And we're really, really grateful and excited to have him because he is such a wise person. And I think we all look up to him and... We are really excited to hear what he has to, um, what his advice is and what his process is. So without further ado, Albert, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, hey, soul women. It's so good to be back. Albert Allenbach has been on our show a couple times before. He is my life partner, um, and I am just extremely, extremely happy that he's a resource that we can turn to when we get questions like this. And... I'm really thrilled that people get to hear about the journey that you've been on because it's been amazing just sitting, you know, I get to witness it firsthand and actually use the same techniques and I've seen how it's influenced my life and my relationship to my creativity. So I'm hoping that he can impart a little bit of his wisdom that he's been gathering and the resources that he's used that have made an impact on him. Alb, if you want to give our listeners just a little bit of a background of who you are for those who haven't listened to you before. Hey, okay, so I'm a musician. Um, I play in a band called Tank and the Bengas, and we tour around the world. I'm also a producer, so I make um, records for a bunch of groups and bands, including this amazing band, Thelia, um, Latranium, uh, Alfred Banks, Sax Kicks Ave. Um, and so my whole life has been about music and about finding ways to show up that don't um, depress me or scare the crap out of me and making my way to being a functional creative. So that's my whole thing. And then you guys got this question if you guys want to just jump right in. And she says that it's been hard during the pandemic for her to show up for herself, that she'll end up pushing through and focusing, and that that ends up hurting her more because then she feels really sad because she's forcing herself to do this thing that she once loved and now doesn't love it anymore. And when I read that, you know, there's some things you read that's just like you feel like someone is speaking the language that you have been saying to yourself and feel a little bit crazy because nobody else has used that language. But that is exactly what I have experienced. I have experienced this kind of romantic vision of creativity as 
well, you know, you got to fight the demons and you got to push through. And I mean, look at all these people, you know, John Coltrane practiced till his lips bled, you know, like you should do that too. And um, I'm here to tell you that everybody who thinks that way has it wrong. <laughs> and I'm here to share. I'll start when it was really bad and then I'll go up to when it got really good, if that's okay. Yeah, definitely. So when it was really bad, I would, after shows on tour, didn't matter where it was, it could be snowing in Amsterdam or it could be in the middle of the summer in Arizona, and after a show, I would lock myself in the van and I would practice for a few hours. And I thought I was really getting ahead. I was like, wow, I'm really developing, really doing stuff. Um, but I hated it and I hated myself and it hurt. It was negative practice. I would have been better if I had not practiced after that show because I was drilling into myself uh, a core of like darkness to work from. Would you say it was almost like you were practicing as a punishment? Yes, absolutely. I was practicing because I wasn't enough and not because I wanted to be more. And I think that may be the core of the issue here. So there's this thing where you can almost feel like you can beat yourself into being better or loving yourself or having great creative moments. But I mean, when was the last time you ever saw that work? You know, when was the last time you like, have you ever like, you know, seen anybody beat anything else and anything good come of it? And then you'd beat yourself and you're like, oh, that's going to work. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. Kind of like a toxic friendship. And it's like, oh, if I stay in this and it's just like really, really bad, you know, well, then at least we've been friends for a long time. We have this long lasting friendship. But if it's not good, if it's not healthy, then what's the point of it? It doesn't matter if it's a long term friendship or not, because that can sound good on the outside. But on the inside, it's that internal struggle. Absolutely. And I looked very good on the outside to my bandmates, to you to Andy and Mar, uh, to my parents. Oh, I'm, I'm being praised for my, like, like my practice and my work ethic and like, oh boy, look at me. Um, but then on the inside, nothing's changing. You're hating your creativity more and more every day. The instruments that are for love feel like instruments of actual torture. And you find yourself in this trap where the thing that you love is hurting you. So this is interesting to me because I definitely am one of the people who would have been like, wow, Albert just is busy all the time and always practicing, and he's just got more hours in the day than the average person. And just because I'm curious what your thought is on this, why do you girls, or specifically you, Albert, think that as a society we run based on you look good or successful when you're beating yourself? I mean, there. It's hard to overstate, you know, the power of images. So maybe it's just that we are so connected to how an image makes us feel and how, you know, especially in American society, we have this individualism thing that we see rare its ugly head in, uh, you know, pandemic era because people are so individualistic, they won't put aside the discomfort of wearing a mask for anyone else, you know? Like, people are that hard up about, uh-uh, you can't tell me what to do. I would rather hurt someone than give up a little bit of my comfort for the greater good. So I think that might be particularly pervasive for us and, um, in that we want to see 
um, somebody else being individualistic. We want to feel like we did the most and like I did this. Look at the hours I'm putting in. You know, you weren't with me shooting in the gym. You only wanted to come around during the championship game. But I shot all these free throws. Look at me on my own. And I think specifically for women, too, to speak about um, females, we were taught at a young age to not be confident. Like, think of role models. Like, there wasn't a lot of women out there who were, like, confident in themselves, and we were looking up to those people. Like, we were taught to be humble. And that humbleness, even though that can be a good quality, can turn really – it can turn sour and become self-deprecating. And I know that's where I stem from my insecurities is – I want to remain humble because I've been innately taught that women shouldn't brag and women shouldn't be overly confident. It comes off cocky and it comes off like unattractive and all this stuff. And we're lucky to be in a generation where that is changing and it's changing every day. But it still is something that I know females like as a creative in an industry that men are mostly run, like it's it's male run. It's just, it can be really hard to be confident in yourself because you don't want it to come off bossy or not being a team player or whatever it is. And so you have to find that fine, you have to discover that fine line between like being a little humble because it's always good, but then not self-deprecating your own like skills and talents. I do think that's why it's so important that we are having conversations like these though, because if you, if you do look into those things and you look up women who are really transcending this time you will find people like that but it's not the thing that's on the front page of the news or or on your favorite it's not the thing that you see on Instagram as you come by but if you seek it out you can find that inspiration more easily so even us having this conversation of like it is possible to be in a relationship with our creativity and not have it be completely stress-based and there was another part of the question that was asked too where it's like do you continue to push through or do you balance giving yourself a break while still holding yourself accountable for your creativity and I think from my personal experiences and what I've learned from Albert the break is so necessary because when you return you're returning with intention and with genuine good-hearted energy not demanding something like we said in our last episode you're not demanding something from your creativity like if you don't do this then I'm not going to be proud of you because we have that idea that we're not going to be proud of ourselves at the end of the day if we didn't push through and get everything knocked off of our to-do list but what if those things weren't actually the most productive thing that you could have put on your to-do list maybe a break was the best thing to further your relationship with your creative self I don't know about you. Sometimes I have to take a break to even figure out what I want to do next or else I'm planning my day from like this kind of like hyped up state of like desperation. And then I'm making plans based on a very temporary state instead of stuff that would actually, you know, move the ball forward. Yeah. And just because I'm curious about this, Alba, if you want to, if you feel open to, could you maybe describe doesn't have to be in very big detail by any means but um, if you want to describe a day that you would have had normally when you were stressed and when things were a little bit more fear-based versus what it looks like now and what you're working towards when I had a fear-based relationship 
with creativity and functioning creatively, um, my days were extraordinarily inconsistent. Um, how I would feel about what I made, if I even ended up making anything. Um, those days felt like I would spend the whole day coaxing myself down to an even level. And then co once I was settled down, coaxing creativity out of its hole and then like trying to put like a basket over it and catch it. And it very rarely worked. And it often would end up with me, okay, okay wake up at eight or whatever, eat breakfast, do other things that are, you know, disguised as self-care, but are actually just distracting me from doing the thing that would really be taking care of myself, which is um, developing my relationship with creativity with a few of the practices I'll discuss. But using other things in place, like, oh, well, I should do yoga, I should meditate, knowing that that was delaying the inevitable of me sitting down in front of the piano or taking an instrument out or writing music. And so then I'll do that for a few hours, get around it. Oh, well, I got to take a call. Oh, I got a rehearsal. Oh, I need to go do a show, you know. And then I would end up maybe it's 7 or 8 p.m. at night. And then it's like, okay, now, now it's time. Here, we finally made it. Um, and then you sit down and you've spent this whole day hyping yourself up, basically. And you're disappointed when the thing you make as a first draft doesn't come out as a finished product. And then I would just be devastated, rinse, repeat, start over the next day where you're putting off the inevitable and then you show up and you're unhappy with yourself and what you did. God, that feeling, oh, so intimately know this feeling when you like sit down and you make something and you're like, wait, it's not perfect? God damn it, why did I even try? But I was curious because when you were saying that you were like doing yoga or meditating and kind of delaying the inevitable, what did those practices feel like for you? Because if you sit down and do yoga intentionally, it's like, okay, can I come and be at peace with my body? Can I just focus on my breath? But I feel like when you are using it as a means to delay, it's it's almost like that time, the only thing that you're thinking about in the back of your head that's always speaking is like, eventually you have to go do this thing that's scary and you don't want to do it. And you just like sit here and do yoga for 10 minutes longer. You don't have to do it. And it doesn't, it's not fostering that same healthy relationship. No, that thing was still there. Even in the most relaxing yoga, when your hips are, you know, wide open or whatever, you're just spread out, splayed eagle, like I am an open vessel to the universe. You know, even then, there's that thing in the back of your mind that's like, oh, well, you know, you got a project due, or you said you'd make this beat, or, you know, you said you'd produce those vocals, or you said you'd do this, and it's like your to-do list is just lurking in the corner for you to roll up your mat. We call that productive procrastination around here. Oh. And it's a very popular thing to do. And if you're going to procrastinate, I would say, why not make it productive procrastination? But, yeah, to what extent do you finally say, like, okay, like, why am I actually doing this right now? To avoid something or because I'm trying to improve myself? Mm -hmm. So how would you say your process has changed and what are you working on now? What does your day look like? Well, the way to get around that, and this is... This is advice that anybody can do. And the way to do this, here's what I do every single day now. You've seen this. No matter what state I'm in, no matter what's going on, when I sit down or stand up or however I'm working on something, when I show up to the space of creativity, which for me is my studio, when I show up there, I sit down for five minutes. And I set a five-minute timer, and I let 
the sand settle. I let everything that's been kicked up, I let it settle down. And I actually, in my head, I speak very slowly in my head. I learned that this is a trick you can use. So I will say to myself, I don't have to make anything great. You know, and I take the pressure completely off. I'll even lie to myself. I'll say, I am not getting paid for this. I'll say, I surrender. I'll say, all I want is to give to the thing that gives to me. Because as we know, giving is better than receiving. It always has been. It's not just at Christmas. We've been taught this for so long, and we ignore it. And so I'll say these things to myself, and it takes all the pressure off. Because contrary to popular belief, most pressure is not going to work creatively for you. It will destroy you. It might work in other fields, but for something like art, where your moment and your truth at the moment of creation matters, you, 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 you do not want to feel um, like you have anything to live up to in those moments because you will not be your true self. You will be a version of somebody else. I guess my question, I just want to circle back here a little bit to what our listener was asking because this is something that I've been learning as well throughout my sort of different route of creative career path, which isn't as much to do with sitting down and necessarily creating a piece of art, but just creating a business or creating a safe space for clients or creating a safe space for myself, for myself to be around and work with people because that takes another kind of energy as well. And what I've learned and what I've processed through is that you can't give to your art or to people or to your business if you are not in a grounded state. So that five-minute timer that you set to settle the sand, that comes from the need to be in a grounded place in order to produce or give or create. And so something that I know we talk about almost every episode, it's what this whole podcast is based on, is how do we find tools in our daily life to ground ourselves so that we're able to give, to you know, work on ourselves and heal ourselves so we're able to help heal, etc. So for this listener, I guess, and Albert, maybe you can touch on some more tools. I know you do more than just your five minutes to, to settle the sand, but what is something she can start to do today to kind of fall in love again with, with her process? Because I think that part of staying in love and continuing to love what you're doing is those little reminders of this is why I'm doing it. Those little moments of clarity of like, yes, this, this is why I decided this path. So maybe give us some times where that's like clicked in your head for you or some techniques that have brought you there. She has to detach. She has to, for me, it's putting the horn down. It's stepping away from the computer. Um, so whatever her art is, she has to step away from it. Um, she has to do it for like a few minutes really lovingly. And then when she starts to not love it, she has to put it down. And then she has to come back to it later and do it until it hurts. And then she puts it down at the first sign that it's hurting. Because what we have, we typically have these glimpses every day of the thing that thrilled us as a child, which ultimately is the 
creative goal. I mean, we are making things that thrill us and that satisfy um, our earliest experiences and impulses. And so um, my biggest practice is from a book called Effortless Mastery by a jazz piano master named Kenny Werner. And I can't overstate the significance of this book for all creatives. Um, I mean, it is, you'll feel like the book was written exactly for you if you've ever experienced any creative dysfunction. And one of the practices in there is to play any note on your instrument, um, any sound, anything, whatever comes out, and then you say to yourself, that's the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. It's like brainwashing. It's like you're like faking it. You're like, you're lying to yourself a little bit. Um, so maybe this isn't a practice for honest people, but also life is going to be much harder if you're honest. Um, <laughs> and this can be applied to any art, I believe. I think you could find any number of ways to apply this. Maybe whatever you, you paint and whatever comes out, you say, that's the most beautiful painting I've ever seen. Now, I think we can all agree we're all grown up enough to accept this paradox that, hey, the random noise or the random paint splotch isn't actually the most beautiful thing I've ever seen or heard. However, in that moment, it, you can make it true. And ultimately, you making that true in that moment will allow you to convey a feeling, which is what all this is about. Well, I think it's that same idea of saying to yourself, like, this is how I'm going to feel in my future self. Like, I'm going to feel this joy. And you feel that within yourself, and you do trick your brain because your brain doesn't know the difference between your present and your and your future. So if you paint a picture in your head, and it's that same thing of rewiring your neural circuitry by saying to yourself, this is the most beautiful thing that I've ever done. You're giving yourself a compliment. Your body doesn't know that that's fake. <laughs> you only feel it as, as like the truth that it is. And so it will settle in your subconscious. There is these ways of just tricking our brains. I'd like to also do, a, do that last part, not again, but just say a different thing where maybe I could put in some more uh, tangible, concrete things to practice because there's nothing I hate more than when like, they ask somebody a question like that and they either get distracted or they're cagey because they're just like trying to get you to buy their book. I'm like, just tell me the secret. That's why I listen to this podcast. <laughs> so for, as far as practices um, that I have used that have helped me, coming from a place where I felt straight up tortured by my instruments and the music I had to make, um, I started by detaching. I started by playing my instruments for a few minutes a day and then putting them down until I felt safe and calm to approach them again. And I did that over and over and over again until I could play them for longer periods of time before the familiar you know, anxiety and tension started to arise. Um, I also imagine myself into a place where I feel like something else is moving me. I literally say in my head, so after I've, you know, played the instrument and set it down, I'll say to myself, I'm not actually doing this. Something else is moving me. And then I pretend, like I'm a puppet attached to strings, that I am being maneuvered by something to pick up this instrument or to put my hand on the mouse 
or to play the keyboard, you know, or to move something in the software. And then I just watch as I am moved. And you experience this. I mean, it's, it's an absolute, it's a feeling of limitless potential because all the pressure's off you. It's not actually you doing it. It's something else doing it. So how could it be your fault or problem or credit? You get to stay totally even if you imagine that something else is moving you because we're just leasing this right now, you know? You know, we just, everything that comes through, we don't get to own it. We just get to watch it. Honestly, Albert, like, I was getting teary-eyed just listening to you because, like, I can't, you're just explaining it so well. Like, I, I'm feeling what you're saying, and I could not relate more to this. And the one thing I want to say about when you say detach, like, that is, I know you just said you want more tangible, like, examples of what you do. But, like, detach is, like, the big one. Like, you hit it. Like, you hit the nail on the head or whatever the saying is. Like, you, it is all about detaching and not not having a mindset that anything's going to come out of it, like detaching from all outcomes, which is so, so hard to do because your ego, that's the last thing your ego wants to do. Like your ego wants to attach to every little thing that it sees and hears and senses. And, and it reminds me a lot of, I always think about when I have to remind myself, like let's detach from this art like project that we're doing. Let's detach from this design work that you're doing or detach from my yoga flow if I can tell I'm like more stiff than I usually am. I always remember like when I was a kid, I used to do the word search puzzles where you look for words. And I remember I'd always be stuck on like one word and I would wait and I would sit there for like 10 minutes and try to find this gosh darn word. I'd look at every single letter and I just couldn't. And I remember I would like something kind of what you were saying, like something would overcome me and be like, go take a break, go get, go make some dinner, go outside and play this is not working. And I swear I would do that. I would take a break. I would detach from this outcome that I had. And I'd come back and the, I would lit, I would look at it for like five seconds and the word would just be there. Like it was almost like glowing. And it was, I remember always thinking as a kid, I was like, this is magic. And it's crazy because that's truly how it works with art too. Like specifically for design work. This is what I think about when you say this stuff is like, I will sit at Adobe and I'll like try to figure out where the circle can go and it's just, you know, rack. I just can't, I can't control like my OCD and I'll take a step back and I'll come back and I'll look at it and I'll be like, this needs to be on the bottom left. That's it. I ne- and I don't even, it's like an intuitive feeling of like, yep, don't need to question it. I'm not moving it again. And so I think like truly like trusting the process like what you're saying and detaching is like honestly the main thing that you can do like truly I really want to dive a little bit deeper because I keep hearing you guys say detach right like it's easy to do that so how how do we detach let's give some tips and tricks for that because that's it's not easy you can't just say I'm going to detach from this that's you know we know that's not how it works so how do you actively work on training your subconscious to know when to detach? How do we get to that state of being where we can just say, oh, I need to step away and detach? Because most of the time, that's not even a normal concept to people. Like, oh, I just need to step away because we're taught to care more and to give more and to do more in those moments. So how can we, how can we tell people realistic ways to work on detaching? Okay, so I think realistically, breaking it up into two parts will help. The first part is the conceptual part, and actually reminding yourself every day 
and wrapping your head around the unfortunate but unavoidable paradox that if you are creative and you make something, what you make is the most important thing in the world and you could never go another day without doing it, but also it doesn't matter at all and it doesn't matter if you never do it again. So it's, it's, not, it's not easy. It's going to make your brow furrow. You'll probably cry. But like if you remind yourself that, that um, if you make art or if you play music, if you put the paint swash in the wrong place or if you play a note in the wrong spot, nobody dies. If you were a doctor and you messed up, somebody might die. But you're a musician, so you're good. <laughs> this takes off an immense amount of pressure. That's the conceptual part to help to detach, that actually you might be happier if you just never did this thing again. <laughs> that is the truth. Um, there will be an eventual heat death of the universe, you know, whatever. Like, accepting these big things is like the first part of it. The second part, and this is what I do to detach, is this practice from this book, Effortless Mastery. Um, and I'll say it for the musician, but I am sure you could adapt this to any art. Um, so let's take the saxophone, for example. I have the saxophone on a stand in front of me. I sit down in front of it, and for however long it takes, it might be five minutes or it might be ten minutes, um, I let myself descend into the surrender state where anything is possible, I am not in control, something else is moving me, I literally feel as if my breath is being pushed into my body and pulled out of my body rather than me taking action. I let myself sit in the, it's very, it's similar to a meditative state, but you aren't focusing so much on not judging your thoughts, you are kind of inventing this imaginary place. And once you feel that something else is moving you, then you can approach the instrument. Then I'll pick up the instrument and I'll sit with the instrument on my lap and just touch it, just caress it. And I will notice things about the instrument. It's cool, it's smooth, it's pointy, that part's round. So that this instrument that I have so much emotional weight invested in, I see it for what it is. It's a piece of metal. How is a piece of metal torturing me? It can't. It can only have attributes. It can only be smooth. I make it everything else that it is. And now at this point in the practice, you notice your mind is going bananas because you have so many expectations. You're so attached to this thing. So here, you put the horn back on the stand. You calm down again. You enter the surrender state. You watch yourself pick the horn back up again. Maybe you get further this time without freaking out. Maybe you don't. If you do, you bring the horn up to your mouth. Once the horn is there, you'll have a whole new flood of like, okay, I'm about to play. I, now it's time to freak out because I freaked out every time about this in the past. So I should do that this time too. If that happens, you sit there and you calm down. You put the horn down again. Repeat as far as you can until you are playing a note. And then you'll have a whole new slew of thoughts. You can see how each step progressively builds. And I have taken this so slowly since I learned about uh, these practices. Literally sitting there for an hour and a half. I just got goosebumps when you said, sorry to interrupt you, but I got goosebumps when you said, I'm the one making this happen. Because I think that is that's the key. That's the answer I wanted. I was hoping would circle around and just like connect into my body because it's like that's craziness how much we torture ourselves 
and, and no object can do that and no career path, no creative outlet, nothing. It's literally all what's happening up in our brain of like, oh, this is all me. I'm doing this right now. That's a huge revelation, I feel like. Well, and you think about it, too. It's that same idea of we are just the vessel. So do you let life happen to you or through you? And for music and for, for, for me, for singing, let's say, when I was doing opera things, like it wasn't something that really brought me joy. But what helped me disconnect from my ego was saying, I am just the vessel for these words. It doesn't matter even how I, like how I say them or how I sing them, but it's, it's how I get to uniquely present it. So even if it's not in the perfect way that I had envisioned, when you lean into your intuition, everything else seems to fall away because truly at the core of who you are, you're just trying to give art or give this part of you. Another thing that I wanted to touch on, all of these practices take an immense amount of patience with yourself and with your art. And there will be that part of you that screams, you don't have the time for that. Or that's a waste of your time. That's 10 minutes that you could be getting other things done. But it's not just this one daily practice that you do and you say, okay, I meditated on my creativity and now my relationship is better. It's something that you come back to. It's the daily practice. It's the same reason why we meditate to have a greater sense of fulfillment in our lives. But it's putting that almost through a microscope and saying, okay, how can I just direct this energy to my creativity? And uh, a thing that I talked to this listener about was taking herself out of her normal situation completely. And so let's say you're a dancer. If you are somebody who usually does classical or tap, then go to a class that is just interpretive dancing or like freestyle or do some sort of thing that you like African tribal dancing, something that is just so foreign to you. So then you can get back to that beginner's mindset of like, I'm just going here to move my body and just to explore. I don't have any expectations for this because we went into creativity because we felt that same childlike joy. So how do we come back to that? And Alba, I was wondering if you had anything to speak on for that. Yeah, that's what it is, is what thrilled me when I was a child and how can I bring that now with all this, you know, this weight of knowledge that I have as an adult that has totally corrupted me because we're all robbed, you know, at the cradle. It's it's basically taken away from us right away. Um, and so how do we get that thing back? I mean, those are great suggestions, you know, doing something that is totally different so that you can experience what it feels like. I mean, I can't tell you how different it used to feel to play an instrument that wasn't quote unquote mine, you know, like if I would sit down at the drums or like play the guitar. I mean, then you feel like a kid because you feel unencumbered by the weight of this knowledge that you've accrued on another instrument for how things should be, how they're supposed to be. And it's really fear of judgment. I mean, kids look so dumb sometimes, right? But they don't care. And so we should endeavor to look that dumb <laughs> and not care. Like that should, it used to really bother me if I, if I would look crazy or if someone would have like, it was almost like, 
I didn't want to do anything that could potentially ever be ammunition for anybody to question my talent or skill or, you know, reason for being here. But people could find ammunition for anything, you know, and if they don't have it, they'll invent it. So ultimately, it doesn't matter. Um, And so if we could all act like that kid who's just enjoying, who is actively trying to, like, feel a little bit uncomfortable and look a little bit... um, a little bit different, you know? To go off of that, like, that's a really good example of how to detach. It is inviting your child, your inner child back in. I mean, I know, I think I've talked about this in podcasts. I know I've talked to Cal and Annie about this in every FaceTime, but my therapist, every week, she goes, did you laugh at yourself this week when you would have been mad at yourself? Was there a moment where you laughed? Was there a moment where you invited in like don't take life so seriously mindset because that's such an important thing I think for our generation in general and like being in your for me like being in early 20s like I feel like I have to be mature even though I'm not like I'm I'm literally mentally not even matured yet but in my head I'm like I gotta be there everyone else is there I, I gotta pretend that I'm like 50 and I know everything and then like that age is such this thing but it also is like you being happy where you're at and being happy with the process is remaining present and the way to remain present is to invite that child that inner child and become that inner child again and I think the big thing too like another tangible example I know I've talked about this in the podcast and I'm pretty sure it's almost it might be the one that Albert was in before but it's like that step-by-step guide like Callie has changed my life with this advice I use it to this day it's absurd how much I use it but like for me, it's yoga where I do this a lot, but I will, it's taken that one step. So the first step is getting the mat out, putting the mat on the floor. And then you praise yourself. Kind of what Albert was saying. Like you, you say, that's the best, that's the best time. Like I have never put out my mat better ever in my life. Like look at it in my room. It's so gorgeous. Like I, like you, you, you talk yourself into being like, I did that one step and you find yourself kind of getting excited. And then you look at it and you're like, Maybe I'll just put my feet on it. I'll just put my feet on it. Like, what, what, nothing, no, it's not going to kill anyone. It's not going to kill me. I'm just going to do it. And then you put your feet on, and you're like, my feet feel pretty cool on this. This is a new surface. Like, how exciting. You know, it's like really inviting in that excitement again and kind of playing around with it, playing up that inner child and that step-by-step thing where not having those outcomes and just being like, I'll finish the first step and see what happens. Like, that has helped me so much because my brain is like a week ahead of me. Like I'm already like, I got to finish this project now. How do I finish this project? Blah, blah, blah. But if I stop and just take it step by step, I find that present moment and that's where I'm, you know, safe and secure and happy. And you know, our inner child, if we're in yoga, our inner child is not like, oh my gosh, your Paschimottanasana does not look perfect. This is terrible. You're, you're the worst yogi. It's like, oh my gosh, my body feels great like this. Like you were saying, Mar, it's like kids don't look at how... <laughs> I have I have two boys that I'm always around, and if you tell a four-year-old to put his hands above his head and, like, lean to the left and do this, like, like Bikram half-moon pose, like, let's say that's what you're going for, and he's, like, totally leaning forward, his hips are back, but he's giggling, he's laughing, and... He's just thrilled that he's moving his body and he's doing yoga. 
And if we can adopt that same mindset, we have so much that we can learn from children because they haven't been, like Alp said, like we're robbed basically at the cradle. But there are so many children out there and you can see just this, this pure joy for movement, for just being. And they feel their emotions when they surface. So like that's why kids will just like scream and cry when something doesn't go their way because they're feeling it as it's coming. If we learn how to process our emotions in a healthy way, we can then when those emotions bubble, we know the coping methods that work to help those pass. I was just going to add on, it's just about remaining curious, because as children, all we are is curious, and I wanted to go real quick reference to the movie Soul. I don't know if I'm going to keep doing this. I know I did it last time. I'm sorry if I do, but it's like when the young soul falls into the wrong body and is all of a sudden noticing everything that's happening around, like the way the leaf falls from the tree and the way the sound and the smell and is just so excited about all these things like eating pizza and the original soul is just like oh come on like you're stalling like let's go we're on a mission we're on a mission and it's like that sleepwalking state that we grow into for some reason and so being a child is almost like that same sort of like, you can be in a childlike state as an adult is what we're all saying here. And that comes specifically from just being enamored by what's happening around you and noticing the little things like on Elb's saxophone or for Mar, like when she's talking about, oh, stepping onto the yoga mat. And those little things that you just, like, observe that normally you're just like, this is just a part of my normal routine. So how can we stay curious is what I'm, what I wanted. I'm curious. How do we stay curious? Because I think this would help a lot of people, but Callie, I also want you to go into the book you were talking about. So (laughs) I completely agree with you. And I think it's stepping in with fresh eyes and that same five minutes that, that Albert does before it's settling the sand. And you can do that in, in so many other ways too. It's the same idea when you come back from a week-long vacation and you're like, it feels so good to be home. Oh my gosh, our home is so beautiful. Like, this is such a cozy space. And you don't say that to your house every day. You know, you only say it when you've been you've been gone. Same thing with long-distance relationships. Distance makes the heart grow fonder. But it's because we get stuck in this state of unawareness. And so I could sit in my studio and I could open my eyes and, and just look at everything. And usually we end up doing this after we meditate, too. We're just looking around our dining room area and the things that are on the walls, the floor, the door, every part of it, and just taking it in and seeing it with fresh eyes. The thing that I wanted to talk about was something that Kenny Werner speaks on, and I think I want to hear Albert speak on as well. He talks about playing within this space that you are comfortable and then playing one level outside of that, if I'm correct. Yeah, if you were to do only everything that you can do right now really well, you would never grow, right? But also, you know, trees don't grow because they're running from something. They're growing toward light. They're growing toward nutrients. And trees also encounter obstacles, you know. We see roots breaking through concrete all the time, but they weren't growing because the concrete was there. So us expecting that our creativity is going to grow 
because we're giving ourselves a hard time or just because we're doing something hard is like expecting the tree to grow because there's concrete. You know, we are we are cutting off the sunlight right away if we do that. But the way to balance these things, and also, this is a great tie-in to the listener's question, you're a pro. This is all about balancing giving yourself a break with, quote-unquote, pushing through when you, quote-unquote, have to, you know, because like we said with the whole conceptual thing, what does have to mean? What does pushing through mean? Do we have to do any of this? The answer is no, but like just for the the game we play, you know, and the and the life that we live, you know, we have to like address these things because we live on clock time, and you know we have to do some stuff sometimes. So, I think you can tell when it would be better to walk away and give yourself a break versus when it would be better to sit down and move through it. Um, based on the presence of the curiosity Andy was talking about. So if you were sitting there and you don't even want to know what happens at the end of this particular creative journey that night, let's say you're working on an art piece, a visual art piece, you don't even want to see where it's going to go to the end of the night. I would think that that is a sign to give yourself a break, detach, give yourself a chance to come back. But if you're sitting there and it's tough and maybe you have doubts, maybe you're working on it, maybe it's not, you know, you don't feel like a carefree child, but you feel like someone who's pursuing something and you have curiosity and an interest to at least see what would happen if you put, you know, one more paint splotch down or if you, you know, photoshopped one more thing in there or changed one layer. You know, if that is present, then I think that is a good sign that you are in like growth mode because what you're doing is making you uncomfortable, but also you have this sunlight, this goal of that curiosity. And the curiosity isn't a burden. It's something to go towards instead of run away from. Yeah. And I think all of this can be tied back to that idea of just taking it one step at a time and being, being honest with yourself in that space. And I was talking to my aunt the other day, and she's a painter, and she's been working on this painting for a few weeks now, and it's just sitting on her desk. It's on an easel, and she's like, I've just been going back to it, and I'm, I add one thing a day. It might just be a dot that she adds, and some days she, she may not add anything. She may not be like, she may look at it and, and say, I don't really know what I want to add to it today, and so she won't touch it, and she's also realized that there's other things that she's done in the meantime where she's like, oh, I just need to, like, paint something. And she'll just paint it and just let whatever needs to come out come out. And she'll look at it and be like, I like this more than I like this one that's been sitting here for forever. They're both beautiful in their own sense. And they're both teaching us different lessons. But when we only have, when we only give ourselves one project or one painting that has to be everything and you focus all of your attention and energy on that, you're selling yourself short because you might be in that place where you just need to create something, but if you just need to create something and you're on this thing that deserves time, that deserves one dot a day, one paint mark, then they're not growing in the ways that they can be to be fully fulfilling. Ooh, I think you're close to like the thing 
where like, I mean, how do you do this when it's your job, you know? I mean, how, how in the world are you supposed to do this? You know, all this talk about like, I can imagine myself sitting here and being like, yeah, that's great. But how do I magically turn on my inner child when there's a deadline, you know? How do I not crumble under the pressure? And that pressure is so real, but also it's so fake, and we make it. I will say that in my five minutes of letting the sand settle. I will say to myself, I have created this pressure, and I don't have to feel it. And saying that to myself, Albert to Albert, it takes it all away. It like you you're able to think a little bit differently. Like wow, this is a this is a mental thing. This pressure, I'm creating scenarios in my head that probably aren't even real. How this is going to be received by the client? How uh, somebody else on my team is going to think about my creative idea? When you're in the state of kind of desperate creativity that a lot of us get into when we have a deadline. We're thinking about all the wrong things. Instead of trusting that nurturing the roots of this tree will eventually produce fruit, we're trying to shape the dirt that we're planting the tree into into like a, a fake apple and then being like, here you go. And it's, it's we're doing the it's, it's It's crazy when you are able to step back and think about it. But up close, it's like you're like, well, obviously uh, Jennifer is going to hate my creative input. You know, you don't even think that, wow, obviously I'm going to do something dope because I'm dope. To go off of that, too, like, I guess it's kind of a mantra for me. And it, it's a little bit of a harsh one, but I, I like it that way because it, it really brings the point across. But, like, no one cares as much as you do. No one cares about your growth as much as you do. Like, you're not that important to someone else. And it, you're important to yourself, and that's why it matters so much but like you can take that pressure off and yeah of course deadlines are deadlines I really do understand that with like design work and clients but the amount of times I've had to be like I need one more day to finalize this and get nervous more times than not they're like of course yeah like they're very understanding because they trust me as much as I trust them and it's that thing where it's like you have to have that inner trust in yourself that no one is keeping the spotlight on you when you're working, when you're creating. Like, there, no one, no one is watching you. It's truly yourself, and that's also what matters. Like, I mean, how many times have we been told it doesn't matter what people think? Because it doesn't. It doesn't. It truly matters how you feel about yourself. And, I mean, yeah, I just think Albert did a really good job explaining that. <laughs> yeah, I think we, I think we cracked it though, because that in itself is detachment. And when we show up and we, we can actually be curious about becoming detached, know that it's okay, know that it's safe, and all in all, nothing really matters. And that can sound really either disheartening or freeing, depending on how you look at it. So I'm going to be real. Just one last thing here, and then we can wrap it up. Because of the way my mind works, I'm thinking of all the different types of responses to our conversation that are going to come up, kind of like Albert brought up, like, okay, but realistically, what if there's a deadline? So the way that the world works right now is not as forgiving for the most part, Mar. It's nice that people will let you have one more day if you need it as an artist, but that's not realistically how the world really works for most people. And so I think that coming back around to that same message of detachment is 
how detached can you become in a society that doesn't want you to be attached? And for those listening who are thinking like, this all sounds like hearts and flowers and magic, it's not. This has taken all of us a lot of work, right? I mean, Albert, you're talking about you being in such a low place. I want to remind everybody how low of a place you can get to before you start to claw your way back out to figure out these techniques and learn and suffer along the way a little bit. It's not an easy process, and I never want to make it sound easy. And I always come back to this little bit of darkness that's involved in being able to have a path where you do get to feel like you're in charge of your own time, where you do get to feel detached, where you do get to feel curious and that you love it. And I don't think it's something you can just snap your fingers and have. So especially to our listener question and especially to anybody else who's in the same boat, it is fucking hard, homies. Like, it's not just easy to be like, I'm going to just choose to be my childlike self and be curious today. So if you are going through that slump, just know that that slump or that obstacle is necessary for you to get to that destination of feeling at more of a place of peace and at understanding what it's like to feel in those detached moments. And when you experience them, even just for a second, it's like those are the moments you want to stop and breathe and meditate on and remember and put into your subconscious. And, and those are the moments where you're like, this is why I keep going, even though, even though it's difficult. Those little moments of detachment and those little moments of when you're in that place of no mind that we always keep bringing back up, that is, for me at least, what keeps me going. So I would say mostly look and dig for those moments and then try and stack them up in your brain and remember how they feel. I'm really happy that you said that and like reiterated that because that is like definitely what self-work is like I came to you guys four days ago crying about this exact situation because healing and growth is not linear and we know that and I think it's really smart to reiterate that again that it's not you are gonna have low points and you're gonna have high points but like the really big thing that I take away from that is when you're at those low points that's when these tools and these that detachment is the most important and if you can get yourself out of that at your lowest that's that's where that growth happens and I am sitting here today being really hearts and flowers and magical because I'm having a good day but four days ago I was coming to Cal and Andy being like I'm beaten down I'm tired and it happens but because I was using those tools that I'm already trying to advance in that's why I'm here now feeling better is because I took those tools and I used them even at my lowest when I the last thing I wanted to do was do anything I just wanted to shut down I still did that and so yeah we do want to encourage you that like this is not easy work but also being in a spiritual mindful life is not easy work like this is for the strong and this is for the vulnerable and you just have to remind yourself that you are strong enough to do this I think the truth of all of this is giving yourself grace and you will have the days where you sit down and you let the sand settle and you do the work and it still doesn't feel easy. That doesn't mean that you're weak because that is an inner strength that cannot be taken away from you. And that's why I wanted wanted to say that again because I think some people can hear that and be like, I guess I'm just not strong. I'm just not strong enough. But it's like you have this already within you. 
And you as a creative being, you are inherently strong because you've chosen this path. (laughs) In the society that we live in today, it is strong to just be who you are. That's already strength. So even on the days that feel extremely hard and you feel like you're exhausting all of your coping mechanisms and all of the tools that you have in your tool belt, know that that is still a successful day because you are coming back to the practice. That's the hardest thing to do is do those things even when you're not reaping the fruit and you're not seeing results, but you have to know that it's doing the subconscious work. You are still rewiring your brain by taking that time. Albert, could you leave us with, um, because it's been a while since we've had you on, would you leave us with a mantra, something you live by as short as long as you want it to be? We like to ask this of our guests, and it helps add to our list of mantras for ourselves. Yeah, I think the thing I remind myself of every single day, and that I think everybody else should remind themselves of every single day, is that you don't have to do anything great. And by believing that and by telling yourself that over and over again, I give myself permission to not be amazing. You might actually be amazing. I just got goosebumps. Me too. (laughs) That was beautiful. Thank you for being on our podcast today, Alba. We all really appreciate it. And I know our listeners really love it when we have another opinion, another perspective. We love you. I love you guys. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Albert. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We appreciate you and love you so deeply. We couldn't do this without you. If you want to find us in real time, you can go to our Instagram, at Soul Women Podcast. Send us any messages, questions, comments, or concerns that you may have, or new episode ideas. We'd love to hear from you. No, I don't want to do that. Sorry. <laughs> I had too much coffee. Okay, okay, okay. Damn, so women getting it in. Albert. Yeah. Callie. Or Mar. <laughs> Did Mar say Callie? <laughs> Guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and this is Mar. I was really waiting for Albert to give me that thumbs up. (laughs) Can I put little sweet messages in my recording? Or is that going to mess it up? Hey, Callie and Albert, you're doing so well. I'm really happy to have you on here. (laughs) Hee hee. Love you. Mooney, enough.